Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JustBaseball, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope and Y. 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. This is a brand new week on the Just Baseball Show, folks. Walker Bueller on college and cutters. I've got a closer question, and then we've got a whole bunch of pitchers that we want to hit on right now. Jack, Peter, Just Baseball Show presented by BetMGM. What can JB fans do for the people, Peter? Well, unfortunately, JB fans is no more. You lost your chance to wager $10 on any MLB Moneyline and receive $200 in bonus bets. Thankfully, if you use code just baseball, risk-free bet up to $1,000 when you put that code in there. Code just baseball. But again, gambling problem must call 1-800 or text 1-800-GAMBLER. But there is a great code. Once you download, use code just baseball. And there's a risk-free bet up to $1,000, kind of whatever you deposit. Uh, so for the big betters out there, might as well cash in. But even if you only want to deposit a couple of bucks, they'll match it, and it'll be a risk-free bet on the king of sportsbooks. Absolute no-brainer. Easy peasy, baby. Um, All right, we've got a whole bunch of stuff that we want to hit on. I think rapid fire. And we can start with my closer question or end with it. I kind of want to start with it. Fair? But the thing is, it's called a closer question. So kind of like, what does Felix Bautista come in the first inning? Maybe like opener type thing. Should we open with the closer question? Yeah. 
Just we got to close with the closer question. Are you kidding me? Okay. Even pre-recording, we were talking about how we're going to do the show. And you're like, we'll end with the closer question. Now we're just going out of whack. No, fair. All right. We're going to open with your softball bitch fest. What's going on here? Thank you. And no, I mean, you could call it a bitch fest, but I think a lot of people would give me props. You know, I battled through a finger injury, right? I'm back on the diamond home run in my first at bat. Not even lying about that. Did Full lie or oppo? Uh, straight away center. Just a straight up piss missile, the, way all out. All the above. All the above. Just incredible bat speed, hand speed. Yeah. Props to me on that one. Yeah. But I'm pitching on the mound, and for some reason, I get a comebacker. And when I say for some reason, is my instinct was to stick my hand out there. Took one off the finger. It's definitely swollen for those people on um, YouTube. I mean, the camera isn't doing it justice. Just trust me, it really, really hurts. Yeah. Uh, so battled through it. Couldn't really grip a bat. Still went up to bat, hit a line drive to center. Did get out, but, you know, got collapsed in the dugout because battling through an injury like that in a sport as rigorous as slow pitch softball, it was impressive. Props to me. Yeah, so this is the second time that you have given yourself flowers about a softball injury. When did you last give yourself flowers? Um, I mean, the last time I played softball, I had to give myself props. You know, I mean, when you earn it, like, we're about to talk about Nathan Eovaldi. We keep talking about how we keep shoving, but we give props when it's due. If I keep performing, I deserve more props. So if you have a down week, I don't want you to hide, and I oh, want no. us to address it. I'm a stand-up guy. People know me. Humble. Honest. Yeah. Humble. Yeah. So I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to tell you when I have a bad day. Did I have a bad day today? You could call that by an injury, but... At the plate, on the mound, got the win for my team. Like, is unbelievable performance by me. Kind of, I pulled a Willis Reed, except okay. I couldn't even go back in the game because I couldn't really squeeze the bat. So yeah. you're a little bit more like Lou Reed than Willis Reed. Um, but I don't understand the reference. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it, and if there's one thing that I just learned about my friend Peter, it's that he's humble, and, humble. and it's very clear that he will tell you that. Absolutely, one of the most humble people out. Perfect. We can give Nate Yavaldi his flowers right now because uh, this guy is pitching out of his freaking mind. And, and you look at the American League Cy Young race. We're going to get to another guy here very soon that I think should be in the thick of that AL Cy Young race here on uh, Monday, June 5th, when the AL Cy Young is not decided. Um, Sonny Gray obviously was the guy that jumped out here, right? He had a sub two. His ERA climbed over two on Saturday. Um Yavaldi here should probably be considered one of the two or three Cy Young front runners at this moment. Nathan Yavaldi, 74 and a third. Uh, actually, this might be outdated. You got seven and two with the 242. What do you got in front of you? Yeah, why don't I just tell you what he's done over his past seven starts? He's six and oh, 52 and two thirds innings, 46 Ks, a 0.68 ERA, and a 0.68 whip. I even think it's doing him a slight disservice saying he's in the running for one of the best pitchers in the American League. I think he has been the best pitcher in the American League. And I always think that context matters right within a start. I thought that the Mariners were going to win that game against the Rangers. It was Bryce Miller against Nathan Eovaldi. And it had nothing to do with the Rangers. It was more on the fact that the Rangers just won 16-3. to The Mariners were trying not to get swept. It's a division game. You kind of expect just... It's really hard to sweep a division rival, right? 
But Nate Eovaldi didn't give a shit about any of that. Shoved against this Mariners team, who have been hitting the ball hard, hasn't really been finding gaps lately. But if you look at how they performed in the last, I think, three weeks, number one in hard hit rate. Nathan Eovaldi didn't give a shit about that. He just continues and continues to shove. And then on the backs of it, you expect a Rangers team to kind of, you know, not show up for that game. Their offense, just historically, you put up 16 runs, kind of an outlier game. Sometimes the bats just come out slow because they scored all the runs the day before. This Rangers team is just built different. 12 to 3 win, smacking balls all over the ballpark. Remember when we said that we were worried about their outfield? Holy shit, was I wrong. Ezekiel Duran is a stud. Leody Tavares has been a beast. Adolis Garcia, I mean, enough said. Dude's leading the league in RBIs. I almost don't even group them in, even though all of them have been playing not all-star caliber baseball, but well above average, and Adolis Garcia has been an all-star level. And then, I mean, we could just talk about the rest of their team because they're all, they've all been fantastic. We said it, Jack. They're a couple bullpen arms away from real World Series contention. But the thing is, they don't even need a fucking bullpen because they're up by nine by the sixth inning. And Yavaldi has two complete games under his belt already. He's the only guy. Like, there are, what, 12 other complete games. He's the only one with two. Um, Yavaldi, at this point, as we were recording at 7.13 p.m. on Sunday, June 4th, Nate Yavaldi is sixth in ERA. He's one of two guys in baseball, along with Shane McClanahan, with eight wins. Yavaldi here is the leader among major league pitchers in innings pitched. He is the only guy over the 80-inning threshold. Garrett Coles and out away. Framber Valdez and Logan Weber, three outs away. But it's Yavaldi alone at the top. And Yavaldi second in whip in Major League Baseball, only to Baltimore's Tyler Wells. Yavaldi has found it. And if I'm not mistaken, Yavaldi was the American League Pitcher of the Month in May. Michael Walker was the National League Pitcher of the Month in May. Don't worry, I already sent this to Colby. Um, but... Sorry, Red pretty Sox interesting fan. that you've got two 2022 Boston Red Sox that are finding rejuvenation while Chris Sale, one of my favorite pitchers of all time. I'm not shitting on him while Chris Sale hits the shelf with a, a shoulder issue here. Like it sucks. And I'm watching Corey Kluber pitch the sixth inning while the Red Sox are down by two. I mean, it's incredible. And I'm not trying to have the Red Sox catch a stray. All I'm saying is these guys were not damaged goods, but subdued versions of themselves. I'm not buying the, you know, renaissance from Michael Waka. I think Michael Waka is good. He was good last year. I'm buying the rejuvenation of Nate Yavaldi. Absolutely. You have to buy the rejuvenation because the the off speed is, is, is looking as good as I've ever seen it. And it's his command too. Like he doesn't walk anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's just strikes and he's filling up the zone And it's one thing to have, like, we talk about the difference between control and command. Control is really referencing, can you throw strikes at all, right? How's your control? Are you throwing balls or strikes? But then when we talk about command, it's command within the strike zone. That's what makes Shane Bieber still unhittable. I know he's had some tough outings, but when Shane Bieber is at his absolute best, he's only throwing 90, 91 miles an hour, but the catcher's glove ain't moving. Like, it's right exactly where he wants that ball. Right. Same thing right now for Nathan Eovaldi. That's what, what's what been so impressive for him. And Red Sox fans, I hope you don't take it to heart. We're more making fun of our guy Colby because he is delusional. And every single time we go at him, he's like, this is all part of Heim's plan. So I guess Heim's plan 
was to get Kluber instead of Eovaldi and Michael Walker, which were all around the same AAV. But we're also saying that they shouldn't have let this guy walk, right? Because you replace one aging right-hander with a couple other shittier aging right-handers, right? You remember when they did the Corey Kluber deal, I was like, I just saw him. That's not a pitcher you give $10 million. That's not a pitcher you give $1 million to. And Yavaldi got what? Yavaldi got 31 over two years? Didn't he get? No, I think he got 16 per year, two years, 34 or 32, but it's 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 in the low 30s on a two-year deal. I'll tell you right now, Nate Yavaldi got a two-year $34 million deal and a vesting option in 25. He's 33 years old. This is one of the older 33-year-olds in baseball. I know. He's it been around. Seem, it does seem like he's been around for two decades now, but I mean, he's obviously found it. And guys like that, like he knows how to pitch. And this is an incredible run. And the Rangers are on an incredible run. I mean, just turning on Rangers games. Like I talked about the Diamondbacks being probably my favorite team to watch in the National League right now. How can you not say it's the Texas Rangers in the American League? They might be over the Na- over the Arizona Diamondbacks because every single dude in their lineup. You've got Travis Jankowski robbing home runs. Yeah. I, it's Semyon is unconscious. Seager looks like one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball. I could just con- – Jonah Heim, I could just keep talking about this right. team. We could do a whole podcast on them, but we got other teams to talk about. I feel like we do a whole pod on them every time. Um, it's, it's so much fun, it, and it's so cool. I bet Rangers fans, like, they turn on the TV. They know their team's going to put up 10. It's It's got to be an unbelievable time to watch Ranger baseball right now. Right. So you mentioned the level of fun with Ranger games. You also – just tease the level of fun with Diamondback games. And I think what this weekend told you um, with Arizona hosting Atlanta is that Arizona's no joke, man. Like they can win series in October if they do get there. It's a really long season, but this version of the Arizona Diamondbacks absolutely hung with this version of the Atlanta Braves. Now, what I will say here is we got to watch A.J. Smith-Shawver debut. A couple of debuts uh, this weekend. Jordan Walker, obviously recalled. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, on tomorrow's show with Aram. But uh, Luke and Baker got selected by the Cardinals, former Gator awesome. National Player of the Year. Um, so shout out Luke and Baker. This guy was hitting the shit out of the ball in AAA. But the one that I want to hit on for a moment is A.J. Smith-Shawver, who I know has been brought up on this podcast recently, has been brought up a lot on the call-up. He's a Braves right-hander. He's a starting pitcher in the minor leagues, drafted in the seventh round out of high school in 2021 at a Colleyville Heritage High School. So he was high school teammates with Bobby Witt Jr., by the way. But really cool. Shaver, yeah. Smith Shaver was a guy that has climbed at a pace that is absolutely freaking ridiculous. Smith Shaver, last year, 17 starts with Loe Augusta. This year, and he is 20 years old, Three starts in high A, 14 innings, no runs, 23 Ks, four walks. Okay. Two starts in double A, seven innings, five hits, no runs. Okay. Two starts in triple A with Gwinnett, 12 innings, four earned. That's a three ERA, 13 Ks, five walks. So overall in his seven starts, three in high A, two in double, two in triple, you're looking at a guy that has a 109 ERA, punching out 12 and a half and walking three and a half. He's 20 years old. He just climbed three levels in two months. What does Alex Anthopoulos do? He puts him in the bullpen. He threw two innings of relief with the Braves down. And he went six up, six down. 
This motherfucker sat 95 with his fastball. It, he topped it 97, and he was snapping sliders left and right. It was against the top of that Diamondbacks lineup, who was previously rolling. They really got to Mike Soroka, and he came in and just kind of shut them down. Of course, Colin McHugh was was the pitcher before Smith Schauber. But, yeah, I mean, I was watching that game, and I was because I had the over, right? And it's it's uh, five to three, and I need over eight and a half. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Smith Schauber's in. For the over, because it's a 20-year-old. He's it's a rookie on the road. Accelerated across. The Diamondbacks offense was rolling. And then I'm like, oh, shit. The first fastball with that rise to it. The slider, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I might be screwed here. Thankfully, the Braves did it against Andrew Chafin. But if he had stayed in for the rest of the game, like, I was screwed. Because the stuff looked really good. And... It's a rookie making his debut on the road. We saw Brian Wu for the Seattle Mariners really struggle, of course, against this juggernaut Texas Rangers team. I almost, I, I give him a full break. Like they are just unconscious right now. It doesn't matter who's pitching. And even they won in low scoring games against Luis Castillo and John Gray. And John Gray shot down. The, I mean, they're just incredible. But going back to the Smith Shaver thing, the balls on this kid, I mean, through every level. And the reason why you tend to see me fade rookie pitchers on the road is because they start to nibble, right? You can have trust in your stuff in the lower levels of the minor leagues. Let's see you do it on the road when there are nerves there. Filling up the strike zone with quality stuff at 20 years old against a Diamondbacks team. That's why context is so important. Diamondbacks were rolling. They crushed Mike Soroka. Yeah. They've been a good offense over the past couple of weeks. One of the best against right-handed pitching in particular came in and shut the door and kept the Braves in it right now. I mean, as we're recording it, the Braves just took the lead. Now it's eight, five. Yeah. it's eight, five. Like he was a big reason of holding that lead. Now the Braves win. And it's just another guy. It's so impressive. Yeah. So Smith Schauber is great. And when they need a start, uh, he can absolutely give them that start lightning quick. Tristan McKenzie made his season debut. He went, what, five innings, one hit, 10, 10 Ks. Ks. Unconscious. Yeah, I saw McKenzie make a rehab, and he did not look that sharp. So this guy might have just been gearing up, and now he's all the way back. Corresponding move was DFAing Zach Plesak. Interesting. I don't see this guy clearing waivers. I think that somebody gives him a big league shot. Uh, conversation's not about Plesak. It's about Tristan McKenzie, and McKenzie is the shot in the ass that Cleveland needed. And it was so funny because Joe Ryan pitched incredible that game that against was McKenzie. A duel. Yeah, duel. that was insane. I mean, it's 0-0 going into the seventh inning. I think Joe Ryan up to that point had, what, one hit? I think he was yeah. six innings, one hit, four Ks, and McKenzie's on the other side, five innings, one hit, 10 Ks. So absolute but, pitching duel, and the Guardians ended up winning that game. Like, that's so important for the Guardians. If they get him back just to shut down opposing offenses, because the Guardians are still not scoring anything. Like, they almost wasted that game from Tristan McKenzie, but they ended up with the win. They needed it, and McKenzie's curveball looked all the way back. The fastball command was all the way there. On the road, returning from the IL, you don't know ever what to expect. It could be the best pitcher on planet Earth. You're working your way back from an injury. He put all those concerns to bed and looked like what we think could be a potential ace in this league. And this is the type of guardian game that you love, right? McKenzie, five innings, one hit, no runs, 10 Ks. James Karinchak throws the sixth. In inning, no runs, two Ks. Trevor Steffen throws the seventh. Inning, no runs, two Ks. 
Eniel De Los Santos throws the eighth. He allows Who's also, like, he deserves the eighth inning roll. That dude yes. is fucking nuts. No, he's great. And, like, a run came in against him in this inning, and his ERA yeah. is still under two. Yeah. And then you got Classe closing it down for his 19th save of the year. The problem is the Guardians won this game 2-1. And I understand that's that the line is here, but that's a whole nother thing that frustrates the crap out of me. You get an outing like this from the staff as a collective in their nine innings, five hits, a run, 16 Ks, two walks. You win that game by one? We serious? You know who they need? A bat? Yes. I would pick up the phone and call Rick Hahn or whoever's working the phones over there in Chicago. No, and go get Eloy Jimenez. Go get that big bat in the outfield. Because he's a contact guy. Like, he's not he's not a huge swing and miss guy. He would fit the Guardians mold of, no matter what you are, you can't strike out over 25% and we don't want you. You could be freaking, you know, the greatest hitter on planet Earth, but if you strike out 26%, like, they probably hate Matt Olson for some reason. Yeah. Their models probably hate him. They could use a guy like Eloy. And with less and less games between the divisions... I could see them potentially go get Neloy. That's a perfect bat for them. They Except should call, he played 30 games for them. Right. They should call Dana Brown and see if Jordan Alvarez is available. I think that yes. guy would be a perfect bat for them. Strikes out too much. <laughs> sub 20, but yeah, yeah you're right. it's not sub 10. Yeah, no, it's not sub 10. It's not Steven Quad. Yeah, fair. Okay. Um, two Astros pitchers that we want to hit on real quick. Houston and the Angels matched up again. I've got Framber Valdez and Christian Javier on the docket. Let's start with Fromber because I mentioned Ivaldi should be in the top two or three in terms of AL Cy Young love. I think Sonny Gray is probably three. Ivaldi and Fromber are 1A, 1B right now. And Fromber Valdez continues to be a beast. He's what second in all of baseball or third in all of baseball behind Ivaldi and Cole in innings pitched. And Fromber Valdez at this point is doing something that is ridiculous against teams with a record over or at 500. Framber Valdez has started six games. He's got a sub two ERA in those games. He shows up for the big ones. He has matched up mano a mano with Shohei Otani twice, one of which came on Friday. And in those two games matched up against Shohei Otani, Framber Valdez has gone 15 innings, eight in one, seven in the other, 15 innings, one run, 19 Ks, one walk. His best stuff is against the best fucking player on the planet. The nuts on that motherfucker. Talk about right. Smith Shaver coming in with those nuts. Framber's nuts are like maybe hurting him. Like if his nuts were a little bit smaller, it's probably dragging him down. He'd probably have a one five ERA because his nuts are so damn big. No, it's so funny with Framber. Um, you know, I'm a part of gambling Twitter. A lot of people, you know, are um, you know, maybe not a lot of people are watching for No, go ahead. No, the first step to the first step to acknowledging it is admitting it. Yeah, is admitting it. <laughs> I don't know how many people are actually turning on the TV to watch Framber starts because a lot of people on gam- gambling Twitter look at a three point eight six expected ERA, right? Look at some of the peripherals and be like, "Oh, he's due for regression. He's due for regression." They say the same thing about Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder is in another category because he doesn't just get balls drilled onto the ground at the same rate as Framber does. The bubbles like, are blue. The bubbles are blue. No, it's so funny because they're like, well. He's in the fifth percentile of average exit velocity. Framber is. He's in the 12th percentile of hard hit rate, right? He's got a 3.86 expected ERA. But go through year over year. This is a guy who continually outperforms the peripherals 
because you can't hit the ball in the air. It might be hard, right? You throw in 97 mile an hour sinkers. It might be hard. Like those ground balls are hard, but they're getting turned into double plays. I mean, he just gets out of anything. That's the thing. It, I, okay. It's one Oh two off the bat. If it's one Oh two on the ground to Pena, I don't care. It doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. Like this is, these are Framber is the perfect example of a guy where I don't give a fuck about the peripherals. I don't because he has proved year over year. I mean, we could go through it. I don't want to just list numbers, but if you go to baseball savant and look at Framber Valdez's profile, it's a high two ZRA and it's a high threes XCRA. It does not matter. This guy is masterful, absolutely masterful. He is the definition of a ground ball pitcher. When you go on Google and search ground ball pitcher, a picture of Framber's nuts are going to be on the screen. Well, no, that's a private browser if you search ground ball pitcher. Yeah, um, maybe I have a different internet thing. <laughs> it's Valdez and Logan Webb. Like, those are the two. And like, you Webb, look, yes, but it's Framber's but Framber on another to level. Degree. But Logan Webb, again, another great performance against the Baltimore Orioles who crush righties. Like, he again shoved. He just continues to do it. You're in and you're out. These are high twos. Here are guys. You're in, you're out. And they the pitch counts are low, so they go seven every time. These are perfect pitchers. That, that's the thing, man. And like, these are my favorite guys to watch. Um, it's the ones that don't have the overwhelming stuff, like a Sonny Gray, like a Kyle Hendricks when Kyle was at the peak of his powers. Um, like those were my Kyle favorite. Hendricks had overwhelming stuff. No, no, no. That don't oh, yeah. have overwhelming stuff. Oh, Sonny yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. have overwhelming stuff. No, no. Yeah. I, 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 you were listing Sonny Gray than Kyle Hendricks. I'm like, do we have the same definition of overwhelming stuff? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm saying like the guys that don't. But yeah. also the guys that do one thing incredibly well and you will not beat them. Kenley Jansen has 400 saves with a cutter. Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer of all time with a cutter. Like those guys are fascinating to me. And I think Fromber and Logan Webb are cut from a similar cloth. Like I'm going to get you to hit the ball on the ground. Try I dare you. Else. I dare you. You know what's coming. Framber's got a couple of pitches, right? When we look at Framber's usage, he throws a sinker 49% of the time. His curveball 25% of the time. So Three out of every four pitches you're going to see from Framber Valdez are the sinker or the curveball. He mixes in the cutter to both righties and lefties, and he throws his changeup. He actually hasn't thrown a single changeup this year to left-handed batters. He doesn't face that many lefties because why would you put in a lefty? It's a death sentence against Framber. 118 changeups to righties. So he is throwing more pitches this year. Like he's up the changeup usage. He's up the cutter usage. But it's still mostly just sinker curveball. And it's, I dare you to hit it, and you just can't. It's ground balls. Yeah, granted, are they hard ground balls? Sure, because you know what's coming. And that's what makes those individual pitches that much more impressive because generally you know what's coming and you know the location of the pitches too because if you look at some heat maps with Framber, they're in the same spot. And it's funny, the reddest spot for his sinker is right down the middle. Yep, yep. Doesn't but the really thing matter. is, like, the pitch, yeah, the pitch profile allows the ball. Starting up here. It's starting yeah. at the top of the zone and ending middle. Exactly. So I just want to say minimum of 350 batted ball events last year. Like, this is pretty much qualified starters, I guess, a little bit lower than that. Um, when you look at average launch angle against, Logan Webb has the third lowest at 3.1 degrees. Alex Cobb was second at 1.8. He's been awesome. 1.8. There was one qualified starter with an average launch angle in the negatives 
Framber Valdez had a negative 3.6 degree launch angle. Like he Dude, is like, the best by a very wide margin. That's what you I'm found, saying. Yes. You found a quirk in Christian Javier. Dude, this is hilarious. Angels fans know this very well, as do Astros fans. And maybe this is, you know, commonly known, but I saw it really in action over this weekend, and I just burst out laughing. Christian Javier owns Mike Trout. Remember when I was talking about the blue zones for Trout, how the up and away fastball is just the fastballs up. It's always kind of been his a little bit of a kryptonite. Javier does it every time, and he can't touch shit. Christian Javier gets Mike Trout. Mike Trout is 0 for 12 with eight strikeouts. And there was in a bat. It started off the game. And Christian Javier is not locating his fastball. I'm pretty sure it went up to 3-0, or it was at least 2-0. It's a hitter's count. Christian Javier goes fastball up. Trout swings and misses. Javier throws a fastball right down the dick at 92 miles an hour, right down the middle. Mike Trout made contact, hit a weak fly ball to center field. And I'm like, if he can't hit that, and then the guys in the booth are talking about this, and I was like, all right, let's watch his next at bat. Strikeout. And was down in the count early on. Javier's, Javier, it's it's almost incredible the way he pitches sometimes. He gets down in the count. It's like 2-0 or 3-0. He throws a fastball right down the middle to get back in the count. Then it's just a fastball up, and guys just can't hit it. Javier's been struggling a little bit more this year because of that. He's getting down in counts. The command early in the counts, like the Rays, they're very particular. I was listening to Pete Fairbanks talk about it. Throw strike one every time. That should be your main goal. Throw strike one and then figure it out later because these teams, they know that batting average, you know, all that kind of stuff drops down if you get ahead in the count. So that's been Javier's issue this year. He's not getting ahead in counts, but the stuff is still so damn good that he battles back and still gets that weak contact, can still get that strikeout. But even going down in the count to a guy like Mike Trout, who knows a fastball is coming, can't hit it. So I think I wrote an article last year of of pitchers that own hitters and hitters that own pitchers. But watching Javier own Mike Trout, of all people, one of the top 10 players of all time, or at least he's going to go down that way, is just hilarious. Because what can't Trout do? Hit the high fastball. What does Javier do? Throw him high fastballs? And he's like, I dare you. I dare you. Yeah. I, so I, funny. I wonder if Trout would say, like if somebody asked, who's the one hitter you, or who's the one pitcher you just can't figure out? It's Mike Trout. Like, I, is there another pitcher in Major League Baseball that he can't figure out? We'd have to probably do a dive and maybe there is, but the level of domination the in the head of Mike Trout, like Christian Javier owns a full ass condo in his head. But that that's the thing. I'm wondering if you asked Mike Trout, like sat him down one-on-one, who's the one guy that makes you the most uncomfortable? Do you think his answer is Javier? I think yes. Has to be. Has to be. I bet he thinks Javier is the fucking Grim Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> Over 12 with eight strikeouts especially, against Mike Trout. Especially in that Astros uniform too. Definitely yeah. like merchant of death. Um, <laughs> Literally. All right. G-Rod. What do yeah. you know about Grayson Rodriguez, who's currently a Norfolk Tide? So... This is mainly for Orioles fans to not give up on a guy like Grayson because when Grayson came up, he really, really struggled. I'm just pulling up his stats right now to um, give fans of other teams because Orioles fans know that he really struggled. And he posted a 7.35 ERA yeah, with a 53% hard hit rate, which puts him near the top of Major League Baseball in a bad way. 
53% of the balls hit off Grayson Rodriguez were 95 miles an hour or above. It's really, really bad. And I think all of us at just baseball and throughout the league were shocked to see him struggle so mightily. And this is directly from Eno Saris, who is a phenomenal baseball mind, covers, you know, a bunch of different shit, big in fantasy baseball for the athletic. And Eno Saris said that other teams using Hawkeye, which is a baseball software system. I honestly don't know that much about Hawkeye. Maybe you can fill in the holes there. Um, But what they were doing, other teams were tracking his pitches. And it was through limb tracking. They basically, Grayson was tipping his pitches. That from the second start on, there was something with his release point that hitters picked up on that using this technology, they knew what Grayson was throwing, which I was just like, damn, man, you, you get up and you get called to the big leagues. And from your second start on, they know what's coming. I mean, that's a death sentence. So he's down in Norfolk. He's figuring some stuff out, but Orioles fans, we cannot give up on this guy. And I don't want to put it all in, but I'm willing to say like, I'm not putting much stock into these struggles at all. If they know what's coming, major league hitters can hit anybody using this technology. Just, I was blown away by that information from Eno Saris. Yeah. So I guess I just have a bunch of immediate follow-ups to it. And I know that like, you may not know the answers to them. I don't even know if like Eno would know the answers to them. Yeah. This is is new information. Once we get more information, we'll fill in the holes. Just wanted to put that out there because I heard it. And it's coming from a very credible source who heard from Orioles brass. So it's like, right. okay, this this is real. So Hawkeye, if you haven't heard of Hawkeye, I wonder if you've ever heard of Trackman. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of baseball fans have heard of Trackman, right? Especially the new age. Like Trackman was almost the way to grab pitch speed without a radar gun, and that helps with you know IDing, positioning, and all that stuff. Yeah, the shape of the pitches, the, you know, the spin rates, all that kind of stuff, all the new stuff that came in from StatCast. And and it's high-speed cameras. And Hawkeye is almost an enhanced version of that. Hawkeye and TrackMan are kind of, they work off of each other or like they kind of did the same thing. Hawkeye, here's how they describe it on HawkeyeInnovations.com. Our synchronized multi-angle replay technology, of course, SMART is the abbreviation, works as the basis for our video capture, review, clipping, and distribution capabilities. The track systems are optical tracking and camera calibration technologies used for performance tracking, ball tracking, and object tracking purposes. Insight is our suite of technologies that provide data collation, storage, aggregation, delivery, and visualization capabilities. So when you see the stick figures, um, Petriello tweets this out a lot. You ever seen the stick figures like this for the YouTube crowd? Yeah. When you see the stick figures simulate, you know, going after a ball defensively or swinging and watching the ball flight, that's Hawkeye. Hawkeye is a bunch of high-speed cameras placed around a ballpark. Every AAA ballpark has it. Every major league ballpark has it. And that will help ID pitch shape, pitch speed, spin, ball, like exit velocity, distance of travel baseball, um, Outfield jump. Yeah. Like, outfield yeah. Jump. Like how outfielders are getting those jumps. Every bubble you see is from Hawkeye. Yep. Now, Hawkeye 
And TrackMan. Yes, and TrackMan. Yeah. So all of this is accessible for every major league team and every minor league team. My my natural follow-up question to that is he's obviously not tipping pitches in real time like you can't crack the code and because of this simulation you know what he's throwing because like that's cheating with tech which is illegal tipping pitches and noticing and being receptive to tipped pitches is not illegal no i don't think it's any tipping pitches going on when i hear that my mind with this is strictly guesswork when i hear what eno said when i hear what you relay to me i think this guy may have a tunneling problem or a lack of tunneling. Yep. And I think that his arm slot. I think the different pitches that he throws, right? Like what makes Devin Williams change up so unhittable? Yes. It's the incredible amount of horizontal and vertical movement, but it's coming from the same arm slot. You can't tell whether it's a fastball or it's a changeup. Like I generally think when I look at Grayson's pitch mix, with the four seam, the change up, the slider, and the cutter, he might not be doing a very good job of throwing it from the same release point. Right. So it's arm slot and arm speed. So they may know if he's coming from a certain click, like tick on the clock, right? If he's throwing his curveball at 11 o'clock and he's throwing his fastball at 10 o'clock and his slider at nine o'clock or, you know, something in between there, they may know. He may also have a different spot for his glove hand for each of these pitches. So that with Kopech against the Giants when it was a home run derby. Exactly. So my thought is this guy may not be a great tunneler just yet. He may be doing something different on each pitch. And they were able to figure that out through film and through Hawkeye through these simulations. So that's all I take from that. Yeah. Once we find out more information about exactly what it was, we will, of course, relay relay that here on the Just Baseball Show. I just wanted to put it in Orioles fans' minds. Do not, under any circumstances, give up on this young phenom. He's got some stuff to figure out, but there's no debating that the stuff is still incredible, and he's still so young. He's 23 years old. He's a year older than Paul Skeens over there at LSU, <laughs> who just threw 124 pitches against Tulane. I mean, what is LSU doing? Stay tuned for the Walker Bueller conversation. We talk about that with uh, with Bueller. There was a scheduling issue on Sunday morning, so it was just me with Walker. We're truly going to close with a closer question. So here's Walker Bueller. Week six with Walker Bueller. Uh, no bourbon today because it's nine a.m. Walker's <laughs> flying back to Phoenix. Uh, we, you know, nine a.m. I guess acceptable depending on what speed you're going at, right? Like if you're on a, a dude's vacation, it's fine. But like for the sake of this, when you got to fly, I got a game, probably not the best idea, right? Yeah, not, it probably wouldn't work out too well for, for me or for my wife on this flight uh, if we started at nine. But uh, now, are you a nip on the flight? Are you are you an airplane bourbon person? Because I know there are you know people out there that do. Yeah, I'm a little snotty about it, though. You know, it depends on what they have. You know, some of these places will have Buffalo Trace on the plane, and I'm for sure, but um, I'm kind of a vodka Sprite guy on the plane. Got it. Okay. See, I'm typically just like a Diet Coke and let it rip guy on the plane. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't know. I got to get a little bit more personality in my flights. <laughs> no, well, I will say, you know, I've been fortunate enough to we fly first class a decent amount. So yeah. on there, it kind of feels like you have to, you know, for for all the times that you weren't up there. 
I get it. Yeah, you maximize. You know, you right. think about what you could have done back then, and and you got to capitalize now. I get it. We're gonna talk uh, a lot of college ball this week. We're gonna do um, the regional weekend so far. We saw who's expected to go two in Paul Skeen's throw what 123 pitches in yep. a complete game day one of the regional. And I, I saw you put something out on Twitter, so I definitely want to hit that. Um, also just kind of a walk down memory lane at Vandy. Cause I'm sure we've got a lot of listeners that remember you and Fulmer and that, that golden era of Vandy pitching, right? Yep. Obviously it's a factory. They keep on working and Kumar and lighter kind of same deal a couple of years ago. Uh, and then we'll end with cutters. That's our pitch of the week. Have you been watching a lot of college ball this weekend? It's really exciting. Day one and two of the regional weekend. Yeah. Re- the regional thing is fun. You know, obviously we played in three of them and, and came out of, of all three of them, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a stressful time. It's a fun time for, for us. It was probably the most fun time of the year because you're out of school. Right. And so you, they, at Vandy, what we would do is we'd all move dorms. So we would all move into the same dorm pretty much. And um, you just, you have so much free time and you run around and uh get to go do stuff that you don't normally do and, and go to practice and get dinner. And uh, no, it's a fun time of year for sure. Did you, um, I'm sure you remember like the Disney bubble that the NBA did during COVID and like from a fan perspective, that looked like the most fun thing ever. Obviously yeah. there's the human element where, you know, you, you don't have, you know, your family there or like they came at the tail end if you made it far enough, Yeah. but it's just you and your teammates hanging out. And that felt like a travel team's dream or a college yeah. kid's dream. You're just hanging out. Like, were you envious when you saw something like the Disney bubble? No, we, we had our own. So when we, yeah. when we played in Texas and, you know, in the playoffs in 20, we had the same thing. And, um, we were fortunate they let, you know, our wives or, or significant others come and, um, so we had a bunch of kids running around. Everybody's families was there, and um, I loved it. I, I know some people had a tough time with it because it was. I mean, we were in the same hotel room for I think it was twenty nine straight days or something like that. So, uh, but no, we had a. We were on the eighteenth green or seventeenth green of this golf course, and we just I was hitting wedges from behind my hotel room and running and getting them, and um, yeah, it was like adult summer camp kind of. I loved it. Yeah, that's a tough life. What was, um, I guess we haven't had like the COVID conversation. I really haven't had the COVID conversation with anybody that was in the bigs in 2020. When you were in LA, obviously, you know, you guys were chartering and, and taking all those, you know, precautions and everything. But when you guys were in LA, what did your day to day look like in 20? Was it just get up, hang around the house, go to the ballpark? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was much different than anyone else's other than I got to leave right and and go to work for a little while but um yeah no fans no no none of that was pretty it was pretty wild there at the end in in the world series they let you know a certain amount of fans in which was cool and to kind of get a little bit it's hard man when there's nobody in there it's a it's a big part of um the energy or, or kind of the flow of games is is dictated on the crowd and um so that was probably the, the toughest part is just trying to get um kind of going a little bit. I think a big thing for me has always been adrenaline. And, uh, you know, I always tell my wife and, and my family, like when I'm going to the field, I want my stomach to like not feel great. Cause to me, it's however much of that you feel like you can build up during the day when it finally flips to adrenaline, it, it's going to be kind of equal. Um, so it was hard. And I think I, I honestly think I've always gotten that kind of nervousness and energy from, from not wanting to embarrass myself in front of, you know, a crowd full of people. I mean, so when there's nobody there, it feels like you're kind of 
the, the stakes just don't quite feel as high. Really? So a little bit less, I'm that dude and a little bit more like, I hope I don't blow it. Yeah. It's like you, you know, you'd rather make the big putt in front of the whole country club than hit a great shot on the tee or on the range. Right. Like it, that's kind of what it felt like to me. You yeah, as, good hey, as, as good as you want, but you're still on the range. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I, I totally understand that, man. And like, you know, you're on a, you've been on a good Dodger team your entire career. So it's probably easy, you know, to get up for that moment, obviously speaking for you, but um, you know, I mean, like you're getting up in front of 30 K at Dodger stadium, 40 K yeah. at Dodger stadium. How tough is it when you make these road starts at some of these spots that just are not filling up at all? Um, yeah, there's something to that. I mean, not many places are going to be Dodger stadium. So even places that, draw well it, it still feels like that a little bit yeah uh, but you know i don't really know what my career numbers say i i assume that i've been a little better at dodger stadium than than elsewhere but there's some certain places that you know i really like pitching at just the setup or the look of it or the feeling of it in there so um yeah the, it, there's definitely a, a little bit of a difference and, and some guys love being on the road and some guys don't and um you know i again i don't know what my numbers would say, and somebody could probably embarrass me, but you know, for me, it's kind of, kind of the similar deal. I can tell you the splits right now, but first <laughs> let's get into the, uh, yeah, here we go. Splits. Uh, let's go across your career, huh? Uh, at home, Walker Bueller has a two, six on the road, a three, four, nine. How about that? Much better at Dodger stadium, a run better. Um, obviously it's easy to get up, for a, a regional start when you're in college and that is like you know the biggest moment of the year and yes you know you've been on sec network and maybe like espnu espn2 at some points during that year but i mean this is the one where the baseball community really like zeroes in on college baseball and, and that happened this past weekend and it happened with paul Skeens at lsu yeah. and, and Skeens is if you don't know the book on him his 123rd pitch of the game was 101 and he got a chopping ground ball to second, like this is an Air Force transfer that's going to go. He's going to be the first pitcher off the board. He's a freak show, man. 123 pitches, day one of a regional. Yeah. Is an interesting business decision. Obviously, it's, you know, something cool in a vacuum when you're looking at what LSU did. They won a game. They didn't have to use any of the bullpen in day one of a regional. But this can create like a really tough situation for a lot of people around the schemes, right? Yeah, it the regional thing, number one, it, you know, we're out of school, we're all together. It kind of even brings your teams way closer because some teams are out, right? Like there's teams that don't make regionals. And when you're one of the teams that do that, there's privilege to that. And um, listen, it's the playoffs you want to start winning. It's just a different atmosphere. So I understand the, the adrenaline side of it, the wanting to run out there. You know, I tweeted something, I deleted it just because it's probably not really my place. It's, you know, there's, they have coaches and he has agents and all that stuff. But for me, it's not the 123. I threw a complete game in a regional against Oregon in 2014 on 120 whatever pitches. But I think the difference is we it was a tie game. I was throwing good. It was our second day. And we didn't have a five-run lead, right? And, and also, you know, for me, not having gone through this NIL stuff and the uh, transfer portal stuff and, and seeing – you know, LSU, before the season, people were talking super team, best college baseball team ever. And, and obviously they have two special guys that are going one and two. And, and I'm sure 
more guys on that team that are going to go high in drafts at some point in their careers. But, you know, it's a five-run lead, and, and you've kind of got a professional bullpen there, right, in, in a sense that, you know, nobody really knows how much some of these guys are making. But, you know, that kid's going to go and sign for six and a half or seven million dollars, and you know, you're, you're, he's throwing balls 100 in the ninth inning with a five-run lead. And, and so – I think the lead, the game situation was kind of the thing, but at the same time, like no matter how good they are, you know, they're not Mariano Rivera coming out of the bullpen there. So I understand um, the college coach saying, listen, it's five runs, but things can get real weird. And I'd rather have the best pitcher in the country out there. Like I I understand both sides of it. I just, I think at that time seeing a a top five pick with a five run lead in the ninth at one twenty whatever is a lot. For sure. Um, you know, I think a lot of people had that same thought process, um, but I also think a lot of people were marveling at who this guy is. And it might have been their first look at him, um, might have been their first look at, at this kid Brecht at Iowa who's going to go high in, in 24, maybe Caglione too. Again, this is like a platform for college baseball that yeah. you really don't get until the first week of June and right. you know, heightened in the Supers, heightened in Omaha. Um, have you watched Skeens much this year? Have you seen, you know, clips yeah. and all that stuff? Um, I've seen a lot of highlights. I haven't, it, to be honest with you, it's kind of difficult for me to watch a, a college baseball game. You know, I, I watch us pretty much every night and um, I just, I have a tough time watching, you know, in general, but um, no, I mean, this stuff is obviously super impressive. It, it's kind of interesting that I didn't know who it was, who he was before he got to LSU, which, um, you know, I'm sure the scouting community did, but um, I just don't deep dive the draft the way I used to. Um, but it also shows you the power of the SEC and, and what it means to play big time college baseball. And you know, I've had a couple conversations with younger guys that are going to transfer or want to transfer. And I'm like, well, why do you want to go to the SEC? And they're like, oh, it's just it looks so much more fun. And number one, that that statement is two parts, right? It is more fun. It means more in the South. Like it just it is what it is. But also they're on TV so much more regularly. And so when you say it looks fun, yeah, it looks fun on TV because, you know, you got to be on TV for it to be fun. Those Vandy teams that you were on, man, they were just so much fun to watch. And that was kind of like my introduction to college baseball in earnest. And I I watched the shortstop with the flow that was going 1-1, just be smooth as hell. And that was so cool. And then, you know, you run out. You know, a couple guys, and I'm kind of mixing and matching years here, but I remember you, Tyler Beatty, Carson Fulmer. I mean, that was a weekend rotation from hell in the best way. So being around that much talent, what was that like at, at Vandy when they first started to enter the true, I mean, like empire of college baseball? Yeah, I mean, I think it obviously kind of all starts with Corbs and, and him getting there, I think it was 2002 or three leading into David Price and Mikey Miner and, and guys that kind of changed the foundation of, of what that program could be and could look like. And and then leading into the year I committed to Vanderbilt was the first year they went to Omaha with Sonny Gray. And um, our Saturday guy was SEC pitcher of the year that year, Grayson Garvin. And then Taylor Hill was the Sunday guy who played in the big leagues as well. And we had a couple of big time hitters and, um, I don't know if you remember the game. Uh, what was his name? Our first baseman hit three homers against Oregon State. I think it was. No, I don't Left-handed remember that. Uh, Westlake, West. Huh, I'm blanking. But that we had our first baseman hit three homers to send him to Omaha for the first time, and, and getting to see him 
there as a kid that had just committed and kind of following it at a different level was really cool for me. And, and then getting there in 2013, Tyler Beatty had turned down first round money already. Uh, you know, we just, we've always had arms and um, yeah, I think it, I think it just kind of raises the, the expectation when you have that much talent and the floor of what you think we should be able to do. And, and I think it's kind of funny. We went to Omaha twice, but our, our best team was probably my freshman year. We went 26 and three in the conference. Uh, something I don't really know if it could be done again, to be honest. I know UT had a good run at it a couple of years ago, but yep. uh, it's just a long, it's a long season to, to lose three games. Yeah. Aaron Westlake. That Aaron was, Westlake that was, was the right. name. Got you. Yeah. Aaron Westlake had like an 1100 OPS. I want to say that was like 2011, yeah. 2012. It was, was 2011. Yeah. I mean, the, Corbin created this factory, man. And like, obviously you look at pitching and you hear about the Vandy pitching lab. Um, I guess that takes me to my next question. What is that thing? What is the Harrowed Vandy pitching lab? What goes uh, on at Hawkins field? I'll tell you that there's the capability of that is a lot in terms of the camera system that we had and, and two mounds downstairs that we didn't have to water. They had a special dirt. So we threw in there, you know, when we couldn't go outside and so not missing days is a big thing. Um, but Corbs doesn't like to practice inside. And, and so, um, I think we probably underutilized it. And I also think that, um, the technology wasn't as clean or as used as it is today. So now they have all the track mans and all that kind of stuff down there. And very similar to, to what, uh, we use in the off seasons at home or, or at the facility that we go to. Um, they just happen to have it on their campus and, and ready to go at any point. But I think from a pitch design standpoint or trying to figure out a new pitch, especially when you're developing 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, that it's a huge advantage and, and something that most teams have, have probably in some way caught up to now. Um, but there is a culture behind going down in the basement and, and kind of figuring some stuff out. And, and that's what we did. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it's a big part of our program. It's like the common cliche, right? I got to get in the lab and work. Like right. you guys got in the lab and worked, yeah. which is just hilarious to me. Um, now, man, I mean, if there's one thing that, you know, we've learned talking to you and like our listeners have learned, you know, hearing from you over the last couple of weeks, it's that you you know you're pitching better than most guys on planet Earth. Did that stem from Vandy? Like, obviously, hey, you're a really good pitcher. You're going to know pitching. But did they almost like, encourage the mental side of this like hey you want to know exactly what you're doing yeah i mean we had ken revisit come in every year that i was there and speak to us on the mental side of it and um you know a lot of it is is culture i think that kind of learning how to do things mentally right if you do that as a conglomerate then you're gonna like press each other on it and make sure that everyone's accountable for it and, and i think I don't think dog eat dog is kind of the right way to describe how that program is. It's very um, like a family in that, you know, the core is a big thing is we don't have rules. We have expectations and, and kind of holding each other to those, whether it be performance-based mentally on the field, off the field, whatever it is, when, when there are expectations and there are kind of floors of acceptable behavior, it, you know, it takes that, for two 19 year old kids to get mad at each other and yell at each other and then it'd be okay right because everyone knows 
there's a pretty clear right and wrong. And it's less, well, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, this is what we do here. And all I'm doing is holding you to that. I'm not, this isn't a personal attack. This is just what it is. And, and this is what it's going to take for all of us to be successful. And I think that's a huge part of that program and, and something that probably isn't super achievable in professional baseball. I, I think, I think good major league teams have accountability and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, you've got 25 guys in there that are making a lot of money and, and wear their name on their back and trying to provide for their family. So if their way they believe is going to be more beneficial to them, a lot of times it's difficult to um, change, you know, that. And it's also, however they have been, it has led them to be, you know, extremely successful to be in the major league. So I think that college baseball time is a, is a super important time in terms of like learning how to be a teammate um, trying to toe that line of selfish and selfless and arrogant, which, you know, I think for me, I've always kind of been known as an arrogant guy when I play and that that's fine. As long as there's some sort of understanding of my teammates that that's what makes me successful. I care about them being good as well. And I think the learning about pitches and how to, I think that's been a, a big way for me to try and still be a good teammate, even though I can kind of be a dick, you know? I, yeah, I, I totally get that. And like, when you say dick on the field, right. It, it's the way that, you know, you command on the mound, right. Oh, I can, no, I can be a little abrasive off and make fun of guys and, and say stuff to people that you probably shouldn't. I, I know there was a big article that came out my rookie year. I forget what they called me. It, I didn't even know what the word meant, but, uh you know, there's a story, David Freeze, I met him one day and the second day I walked in, I said, what's up, you piece of shit? And, but that's how I communicate, you know what I mean? And, and that's how I mess around. It takes people kind of a day or two or a year or two or never, but you know, it is what it is. And, and that's who I am. And that's what makes me comfortable walking into the locker room. Right. And, and, you know, if somebody else had, you know, needed to say stuff like that to feel comfortable, like I'd be the last one to have an issue with it. So for sure. No, I, I totally get that, man. And like, it, you got to learn that about yourself too, right? You got to learn what makes you confident in every situation right. that you're in. And I'm sure that, you know, you're almost like thrown into the fire when you got to Vandy in that regard. Like, hey, time time to grow up quick, right? Time yeah. to figure out how I myself can function best in lockstep with helping the team, you know, reach right. the success that they want to reach. And like, the expectations are so ridiculously high. And it sounds like those were set not only by Corbin, but also by, you know, a lot of those players there. And that that's a great mentality to have. Yeah, for sure. All right. Cutters to wrap. So you teased it at the end of last week. You said, we're going to talk about the difference between a cutter and a cut fastball. Yep. Do we have a cutter and a cut fastball in the three examples that we have? Yeah, I think so. I think we probably don't have, we don't have like the big, big cutter. Um, we'll talk about it with Darvish, but uh, yeah, I think there's difference. I think the easiest way to kind of categorize them is if a guy's throwing it as one pitch, it's typically going to be a cut fastball. You know, Graham Ashcraft is a good example of that. Glass now has like kind of a cutting fastball. Now I think there's cut fastballs that you're trying to throw on purpose, right? You're trying to cut these balls. And then there's some guys who's, Arm strokes just naturally do that. I'm trying to get this light out of the way. There we go. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally and then there's a then there's an off speed pitch cutter, right? Which is essentially a really hard slider or a small slider. Um, Kenley falls into the cut fastball category for me. Okay. Um, we've had plenty of arguments in the locker room about a similar topic is, is a cutter, a fastball or an off speed pitch, right? Like that's a real question. And, and I think, you know, you'll see Kenley here run both of them. Yeah. We're, we're going to see Kenley. We're going to see you Darvish and we're going to see Corbin Burns here, but Kenley, I picked two speeds for you. This is him going yeah. inside at 91 as Senzel. And then this is him ending the game against Randy Arozarena with 96 on right. the outer half. So let, let's start 91 inside to Senzel. I mean, obviously, you think cutter, you think cutting movement, glove side working. You know, this is, I guess, front door catching the front door against Senzel. Mm -hmm. Why is this such a tough pitch to read for Nick Senzel? Yeah, I mean, you look at where Kenley is on the mound, right? So he's on the far first base side. This ball is going to move six or seven inches to the left, I would bet. Yeah. Meaning it's starting seven inches to the right of where it's ending, the line of it, right? Yeah. And then a normal fastball in the major leagues has four to five inches of run. So if you add that to the perceived, like how it looks, your, your initial reaction – he feels like that ball is going to go a foot right of where it is right, or where it ends up. Right. So that you see the move with his hips. Um, yeah. Just a really tough pit, really hard to throw that ball on that side. I always think, you know, I guess the, the layman's way to think of it is it's really easy to move a ball or to get a ball to the side that it's moving. So you see all of us throw sliders to our glove side because it's easy to pull it over there. So to get it on his arm side to cut like that, um, you know, shows you why he has had the career he's had. Now, the next one is what makes it so special, right? Right. Is that it's 96 at times. It's 98 at times when he got his 400th. You know, his last pitch was 99 miles an hour. He's been in this game a long time. And and Kenley's also extremely um, extended. He's a huge man, and he gets out there really good. So these things are 96. They seem like they're 100, and then they're cutting – a foot the opposite direction of what you're used to. Yeah. There's something about the, I don't know, I guess like collective testosterone levels when Kenley Jansen is on the hill, right? Like, yeah. and I'm sure that you experienced it in the dugout too. You're fired the hell up, dude. Yeah. I mean, everybody in the ballpark's fired up because you know, you've got this, you know, slow delivery, this elaborate reach out, this slow push to the, to the plate. And then all of a sudden he unleashes 96. Like, yeah. is this, I, I like using the term bully ball for some big guys that can just blow shit by you. Is he a bully ball closer with like this cutter? Yeah. I mean, you, you think about part of that is, is his history as a player, right? He was a catcher. So yeah. for him to kind of learn pretty quickly how to throw this cutter to throw it really hard and how to locate it. And then he runs through the minor leagues, gets to the big leagues really quick after he stops catching. Like he didn't have three years at Vanderbilt throwing to hitters and throwing bullpens and looking at data, right? He kind of came up with, I, I throw this and no one hits it and, and did it for 12 years, you know? So, you know, it hasn't really stopped working for him. So um, I, I think you've seen a little progression in terms of you throw some two seamers and some sliders and um, there for a while, it's kind of cut her, cut her middle up and, and good luck. And um, you know, 400 saves. Yeah. 
dude, 400 saves later, right? Let's jump to two starting pitchers here in two different cuts. This is you, Darvish, here going 91 inside to Willie Calhoun. uh, And then Darvish, again, uh, 92 at the knees. So you, Darvish, obviously everybody knows that that he has as, as large a toolbox as anybody in Major League Baseball. And this is just one of those tools. Why is Darvish's cutter so good? Yeah, I, I haven't seen his percentages this year, but kind of thinking back on the last few, this is seemingly like his normal throw, right? Like he doesn't throw as many, you know, he still has 96, 98 in there. He just doesn't do it as much. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's got one of the bigger, better sliders in baseball. And I think this really sets up that slider for him to where you're kind of always stuck in between 85 and it moving way left or this 90, 92 kind of downer cutter but I, I've got to think they have similar spins in some way because he gets so many you know the the second one here you'll see that's like uh the take is telling you that this guy thought this was a slider right? well he, I will tell you it. yeah that's a 27 rpm pitch or 2700 yeah. rpm pitch yeah so he's the whole time that ball's moving towards him he thinks it's going to move it's going to break way left he thinks it's a huge slider and it's just not it holds its line it um you know, there's a few guys that are that are doing this kind of hard, really hard slider, really slow slider as kind of their mix. And Darvish is one of those. And obviously, he'll throw the little two seamer off of this and the splitter and the curve. You know, he'll do everything. But yeah. this is kind of his baseline throw now. And you know, to do that, he obviously commands it and, and kind of knows what that thing's going to do out of his hand. So I've got my handy dandy prop here, and yeah. I'm, I'm thinking you know, cutter slider, like mm-hmm. obviously it's, it's similar grips, similar, you know, wrist action, right? Like what's the difference here when Darvish is throwing his slider versus his cutter? Like what's he doing differently? Is it a grip thing? Is it a wrist thing? What's going on? Yeah. I don't know too much. I didn't get to talk to him a ton when I played with him and he also wasn't really throwing as many of these as he, he does now. Um, essentially it, similar throw, if you're talking a more traditional slider, now these sweeper sliders, you have to really get around. Yeah. Um, but th- this is a ball, this throw is he's kind of offset and it's his hand is more behind the ball than it would be on an 84 mile an hour slider, right? Okay. Essentially, the further supinated you get your hand, the slower the pitch is going to be. The more square you get your hand, the harder it's going to be. So if you think, Think of it that way. Here's a fastball, cutter, slider, curveball, right? Yeah. And you can see how those ranges kind of go down. Um, so this ball is kind of an offset throw, but he spins his a little bit. Kenley's is more of an offset with his hand behind it, and that's why can, he can throw it as hard as he can. Gotcha. This is probably, you know, I'm sure he's throwing some 94s with this pitch, but he's going to settle in the 90-92 and with a little spin and that down action to it. And is that all a rep thing? Like, is that a feel thing? I got to feel this in bullpens. I got to feel where my hand is and I got to see the pitch move. Yeah. For me, at least, it's kind of almost the opposite. It's more of um, learning, you know, we can all spin it in this whole range, right? And it's consistently being able to do a certain spot of that, right? I want this to cut. I don't want it to be a big sweeper and, just getting on the side of it doesn't doesn't accomplish that. So the feel of it is figuring out like this is this, this is that, um, and then not letting those blend. You know, he, 
I think it happened to me in, in some way and that the more cutters I threw, it kind of pulls your heater quality or, or whatever down because the difference is so small right. and where your fingers have to be that if you can't, it's just hard to consistently distinguish between those two, I think are the hardest two pitches to kind of keep separated. Yeah. And then last guy for you. I mean, this is the most well-known high speed cutter in the game right yeah. now. Corbin Burns. I, I've got him missing outside to a righty in Casey Schmidt. And then I've got him going lower against Pat Bailey here to get the punch out. Yeah. We'll start with the Casey Schmidt one. I mean, you can see 96 and I think the fan at home can even see how much this thing is moving. across. Right. The so Milwaukee's another one of those places we've talked about where certain views make certain pitches look like that. Yeah. And it's funny. That's what's so cool about having all the data that we have now. We can really look and say, listen, I know this looks giant, you know, as a hitter, if you're scouting him and you see this pitch, like that ball looks like it's starting in the inner third, it's probably not. But yeah. if you can look at the number and say, well, it's got six inches. I've seen something maybe sort of similar, probably not as hard as Corbin's. Um, that That's how you can kind of, you know, talk yourself into thinking you can have success because, uh, you know, just visually this, this is gigantic. Right. I mean, this looks like a 96 mile an hour slider. Right. It's not. Um, but obviously it's, he's been super successful with, with this throw and um, you know, to move it that much and command it the way he does is, is kind of what makes him so special. And we didn't show it on here, but he has the ability to throw it on his arm side as good as anyone too. Yeah. So it's not like you can just set a point and let everything go inside of that, right? Because he can throw it on both sides and um, he does it to righties and lefties, which is difficult to do as well. I, I really don't throw my cutter much to righties. Um, but he does with, you know, a lot with some real regularity. And, um, you know, over the past couple of years, he started throwing a lot, a lot more changeups, a lot more two seamers, figured out how to make the ball go the other way. And, and you've seen at least the strikeout numbers and obviously his, his career numbers are pretty, pretty insane, but, um, the strikeouts have really gone up because he's been able to make the ball go both ways. For sure. And then this one, I, I find it interesting because you see a lot of, not a lot, but you see that slight vertical drop too. I yeah. mean, you see this kind of fall under the barrel. And, and the first one that I cut here is is elevated to Schmidt. And, yeah. I mean, that thing just looks like it's, you know, kind of sweeping across the zone and not dropping much vertically at all. This one just falls underneath. Pat yeah, there's probably, at least for me, and, and I think a lot of guys that cut it and try and cut it with velocity at all, there's a, there's a height that, at least for me, I don't like throwing my cutter at a certain height because the movement, ends up being exactly what a hitter thinks a cutter is going to do. So if they can recognize it and it's at that height, they'll kill it. Gotcha. Um, you know, I, I know I gave up a big homer to Rosario on it in Atlanta in the playoffs a few years ago, like that's the bad height. Now, if you get it above that or below that, it's going to start acting weird. The one, you know, the first one stays up and cuts, right? And that's a hard, it's just hard to put a barrel on a pitch like that, you think about like the direction to meet that is so difficult. Yeah. And then this one, as you're saying, just the downer action to it and it being low means his hand got a little more on top and, and that's what you come out with. So, um, yeah, three pretty good pitches. Three really good pitches. All right. We will, uh, I don't know. You got a pitch off the top of your mind for next week. What have we done? Have we done curveball yet? Uh, we haven't done curveball. We done fastball slider cutter curveball next week. Yeah, we'll do curveball. All right, I want to man. look at that one kid, uh, Duran, throwing like a 90 mile an hour curveball. 
freak show. Joe Duran. Joe right. Kelly, too. Joe Kelly. Yep. I love it. Walker Bueller, you are the man. Safe flying back today, and we'll talk to you next week. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks. Skeens, time at Vandy, cutters. That was a very fun one. No bourbon this go around because it was 9 a.m. I hop on the Zoom. I was like, you got a bourbon? He's like, dude, it's fucking 9 a.m. I was like, yeah, you're right. Stupid I'm, question for me. I raised my hand. I, I was wrong. Oh, I'm so upset that I wasn't able to join this one. Jack gives me a FaceTime at 830, and I'm just so deep in the lab because, you know, I got to send out the pics. I got to write the article. I got to record, and I got to make the TikToks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, my mornings are just absolutely filled. He's like, we got to jump on with Walker in 30 minutes. And I'm like, shit, are you kidding me? Damn it. I can't do it right now. But Jack did a phenomenal job. I'm saying Jack as if I'm not talking to you. You did a phenomenal job with Walker. Loved the conversation. And we got to talk more college baseball on this thing because regionals have been so awesome so far. We got to get Pete Flaherty back on to talk more college baseball. But it's some of the most fun baseball that you'll ever watch. Like watching the difference between Major League Baseball and college baseball is not only funny because the zone, like the strike zone is so much bigger in college baseball. And you see college pitchers like bitching about it i'm like go see a big league zone we're just a, a ball on like that barely nicks the corner that's a ball unless you got some some of these umpires these days but these games end 16 to 14 12 to 11 and then the games that are low scoring you're seeing some of the best pitchers in college baseball and these guys play together you can hear it right when you're listening to an mlb game and you're just watching on the broadcast, you can't hear the dugouts chirping and there's nobody, you know, the dugouts are doing all those chants and stuff. It's good, clean baseball that's so much fun to watch. And it's a great kind of, it makes you appreciate Major League Baseball, but at the same time, it makes you appreciate the purity of college baseball. It's such a great product. Yep. All right. Last question for you. How many closers are you taking over David Bednar right now? And the reason I ask you this is because David Bednar threw Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He got saves on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in a sweep over the St. Louis Cardinals. David Bednar, this year, in 24 innings, has a 1-1-3 ERA. He's 13 for 14 in his save opportunities. And he's got 30 punchouts, one walk. Bednar's been awesome. Bednar's going to be an all-star again. And I did this exercise and I've got a list for me. Bednar is four right now in terms of I need a scoreless ninth inning. Here's who I'm going to. Do you want me to give you my list or do you want to try and concoct your list? Here's my one issue with David Bednar and it's not David Bednar's fault. Pirates did this to him last year. They throw him every day. And we can look at his at his splits from season over. In April last year, 0.93 ERA. In May, 1.65. In June, started to struggle a little bit. July was still good. September, still solid. But again, you saw the innings just decrease, decrease, decrease. Post-All-Star break, David Bednar was injured and he only threw eight innings. So I agree. If Bednar, if they just allowed Bednar to have a rest, he would get through the entire year and be one of baseball's best closers. And that's what we're seeing right now. But again, we are talking about right now. And when David Bednar is fresh and healthy, yeah, I, I'm. let's go through your list. My list, I, I have Bednar at four. I, I think it might honestly be a toss-up between three and four. One for me is Class A. Like, yep. I understand that Class A has had some rough outings. He's Don't give a shit. Some saves. Don't care. Don't give 102 a shit. 102-mile-an-hour cutters are crazy. Yep. I want Class A. Agreed. 
Felix Bautista, another guy that jumps to my mind. Yep. Bautista is somebody that, you know, like he's got what? He's got 57 punch outs and 20. You don't even, you don't even have to continue. It's okay. like obvious. He is so, unconscious. Yeah. So Classe Bautista. I'm taking Yoan Duran over him for the night. I mean, he just went back to back 104.6, 104.7 or something. When he's fresh, I think it's the best pitch mix I've ever seen and all of all time. He's throwing 105 mile an hour fastballs with 100 mile an hour splitters. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not fair. That's right. that's not fair. He should not be allowed. Like they should make him throw with a heavy ball. Yes. It's so, not fair to throw that. It's it absolutely insane, dude. And he's a big guy that had starter pedigree. It is the Chapman development. Like he was a, a good starting pitching prospect, but they move him to the bullpen. And this guy's like best reliever in baseball immediately. So that's my list of three that I take over Bednar. I'm taking Bednar right now. Read the jump out. Camilo Doval, Josh Hader, Alexis Diaz. Those are the three that I was like, do I take Bednar or them? And I answered Bednar to all three of those. Yeah. Um, I think they're all in the same bucket. I mean, Hader's been great this year. Diaz has been awesome this Diaz year. Diaz has been awesome. I mean, Jordan Romano has still been very good. He's up there, but not in that same breath. I still would take Devin Williams over him. I would take Devin Williams over Bednar. Um, Shit, I'm just going through this list, and it's like, no, I'd take Bednar. No, I'd take Bednar. Um... Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Should be in that list. The thing that jumps out to me with Bednar, man, is like he's thrown 24 innings and has walked one guy. Like, I don't want my closer walking people. Yeah. I I'm trying to rack my brain because Fairbanks is great, but I'd rather have Bednar. Yeah, Devin's up there. I think I think if there's anybody, I would rather, I'd rather have Devin. I'd I'd probably rather have that's hard. It's a toss-up for me. It's a toss-up, and I get it, but Devin Fair. Williams is I hear you. I hear yeah, you. Yeah. I, but Bednar is Bednar's up there. I mean, you yeah. can make a debate. It's relievers, right? You can make a debate of all these guys. Cause like when they're all on, they're you can't hit any of them. So right. it's like if you get them in a bad spot when they pitch two days in a row, their ERA might get a little bit inflated because their arm is tired. But if you get two days of rest for every single guy we named, you are not touching him. Yes. So it's just who's like more exciting to watch. That's the thing. <laughs> and I love talking about these guys too, because they are so unstoppable. Like unstoppable. Duran in the it's ninth too inning. Too good of stuff. In one inning spurts, it's too good of stuff for anyone. Like you might put the bat out there and when it's coming in a hundred miles an hour, you might luckily make contact and it goes a long way because it's coming so hard in. But more often than not, you're missing. Like I just watched that Felix Bautista. I mean, he's just so how do you hit 100 miles an hour at the top of the zone with tons of induced vertical break and then a splitter that starts at the top of the zone and it's tunneled perfectly? And talking about release points, talking about Orioles, it's the same release point. It's it's, it's unhittable. So that's the thing, man. Like I watched Duran on Friday night, Apple TV, and I saw Miles Straw like laugh during the ninth inning because it was 105 on the TV gun, 105 on the TV gun. And they were both for strikes. I was like, yeah, what is this witchcraft? With all due respect to Trevor Hoffman, one of the greatest closers of all time, Trevor Hoffman would shit himself if he saw some of these guys. Like Chipper Jones even admitted it. He was like, I don't know how I'd hit in this era. 
of course, he's being very humble. He could hit in any era, but right. it's clear. These are alien-type pitchers. And when you get him in one inning spurts, it's just unfair. Like, we, remember when Zach Britton almost won the Cy Young that year a couple years yeah. ago? It was 97-mile-an-hour sinkers. I mean, Gagne, man. <laughs> Duran is throwing 100-mile-an-hour splitters. Yeah. It's yeah. not on the same level. Gagne, it was amazing because he touched 100 miles an hour. I yeah. see randos touching 100 miles an hour now. Like, dudes I haven't heard of in the bullpens where I'm like, okay, you're 99 with sink. Yeah. What? And they get hit. <laughs> like, what the hell is going it's on? Fucking everybody, dude. It's That's what big. makes the Grayson thing so crazy because Grayson stuff is objectively good, and they picked on it so quick. And even if they know it's coming, they hit the piss out of it. Like, that's how good hitters are. That's how good the game is right now, dude. And yeah. talk about how good the game is. Aaron Judge is. <laughs> next episode. I mean, dude, next episode. Yeah, we'll do it next episode, but holy shit. I mean, it's just a pleasure. It is. Wow. It is. Thank the good Lord for making Aaron Judge a New York Yankee. Just take us out, man. And this is sponsored by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use code JustBaseball when you download for a risk-free bet up to 100000 $100, I wish. $1,000. Get your Just Baseball merch. It's in the episode description. It's the best way to support the show. Hopefully, you guys all enjoyed the Walker Bueller episode. Of course, he will be on every Monday to break down pitches, talk college baseball, talk regular baseball, the whole nine yards. And if you're watching this on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate you hitting that like button and hitting that subscribe button and let us know what you want to see in the future. And a great way to support the podcast without spending the dime is just to rate and review five stars, whether that be on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We are up to almost a thousand five-star reviews on Spotify. We thank you all out there that are listening and enjoy us, you know, on your daily commute or whoever you are absorbing the Just Baseball Show. We greatly appreciate you listening. And with that, thank you, everybody. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.